Homilies 34-37 through 37 of 50 Spiritual Homilies of St. Macarius the Egyptian Translated by A. J. Mason This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily 34 Concerning the glory of Christians, which shall be vouchsafed to their bodies at the resurrection, and they shall be enlightened together with the soul. As the bodily eyes see everything clearly, so to the souls of the saints the beauties of the Godhead are manifest and visible, and Christians are mingled with them and think upon them. To the bodily eyes that glory is hidden, but to the believing soul it is clearly revealed. The soul which was dead, which the Lord raises out of sin, even as he wakens the dead bodies also, and prepares for it a new heaven and a new earth, and a sun of righteousness, giving it all things out of his own Godhead. There is a true world, and a living earth, and a fruitful vine, and a bread of life, and living water. As it is written, I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And again, Unto them that fear the Lord shall the Son of Righteousness arise, with healing in his wings. And the Lord said, I am the true vine, and again, I am the bread of life. And again, He that drinketh of the water that I shall give him, there shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. For the whole coming of the Lord was for man's sake. Man who lay dead in the grave of the darkness of sin, of the unclean spirit and of evil powers, that now in this world he might raise man up and quicken him, and cleanse him from all blackness, and enlighten him with his own light, and array him in his own garments, the heavenly garments of his own Godhead. But at the resurrection of the bodies, whose souls were raised before and glorified before, then the bodies also are glorified with them, and are enlightened by the soul which had been enlightened and glorified in this life. For the Lord is their home, their tabernacle and their city. They are clothed with the habitation from heaven, not made with hands, the glory of the divine light, as being made children of light. They will gaze upon each other with no evil eye, for evil has been taken away. There is there no male nor female, bond nor free, for all alike are changed into a divine nature, being good, and gods, and children of God. There brother will then speak peace to sister without confusion, for all are one thing in Christ, at rest in one light. One will gaze upon another, and in the gazing will forthwith shine back in truth at the true contemplation of light inexpressible. Thus in many shapes and many varying divine glories they look upon each other, and each is astonished and rejoices with joy unspeakable, gazing upon the other's glory. You see how the glories of God are beyond all utterance, and are incomprehensible, of light inexpressible, and of mysteries eternal, 
and of good things without number. As in the world of sense, it is impossible for anyone to comprehend in number the plants, or seeds, or various blossoms of the earth, and it is out of the question for anyone to measure or understand the entire wealth of the earth. Or, as in the sea, it is impossible for a man to comprehend the living creatures in it, or their number, or their kinds, or their differences, or the measure of its water, or the measure of its place. Or, as in the air, it is impossible to know the number of the birds, or their kinds or variety. Or, as it is impossible to comprehend the greatness of the sky, or the positions of the stars, or their courses, so is it impossible to speak or to recount the wealth of Christians, which is infinite and incomprehensible. For if these creatures are so infinite and incomprehensible to men, how much more he that created and prepared them? A man ought therefore rather to rejoice and be glad, because such wealth and such an inheritance is prepared for Christians, that no one can utter it or reckon it up. With all diligence and humility, therefore, we ought to set ourselves to the Christian's contest, and to receive that wealth. For the inheritance and portion of Christians is God himself. The Lord himself, it says, is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Glory to him who gives himself, and mingles his own holy nature with the souls of Christians forever. Amen. Homily 35 Concerning the Old Sabbath and the New In the shadow of the law given by Moses, God commanded that every man should rest on the Sabbath and do nothing. This was a type and shadow of the true Sabbath given to the soul from the Lord. For the soul to which it has been granted to be set free from base and foul thoughts both keeps true Sabbath and enjoys true rest, being idle and at leisure so far as the works of darkness are concerned. There, in the typical Sabbath, although they rested in bodily fashion, their souls were in bondage to wickednesses and sins. This, the true Sabbath, is true rest, the soul being idle and cleansed from the suggestions of Satan, and resting in the eternal rest and joy of the Lord. As then he enjoined that even the unreasoning animals should rest on the Sabbath day, that the ox should not be forced under the yoke of necessity, and that they should not lade the ass, for the animals also were to rest from their heavy works. So when the Lord came and gave the true eternal Sabbath, He gave rest to the soul which was burdened and heavy laden with the burdens of the iniquity of unclean imaginations, and laboring perforce at the works of unrighteousness, as being in bondage to bitter masters and he lightened it of the burdens, hard to be borne, of vain and impure imaginations. And he took away the yoke, the bitter yoke, of the works of unrighteousness, and refreshed the soul when it was wearied 
with the imaginations of uncleanness. The Lord calls man to rest, saying, Come, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And as many souls as are obedient and draw near, he makes them rest from all these heavy, burdensome, unclean thoughts, and they are idle from all iniquity, keeping a true, delicious, holy Sabbath, and celebrate a festival of the Spirit, a festival of joy and gladness unspeakable, and they perform a pure service, well-pleasing to God, out of a pure heart. This is the true and the holy Sabbath. Let us therefore beseech God that we also may enter into this rest, that we may be idle from base and evil and vain imaginations, that thus we may be able to serve God out of a pure heart, and celebrate the feast of the Holy Ghost. Blessed is he who enters into that rest. Glory to him whose good pleasure it is, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, forever. Amen. Homily 36 Concerning the Twofold Resurrection of Souls and Bodies and of the Diverse Glory of the Risen The resurrection of dead souls is even now. The resurrection of bodies is in that day. But as the stars, though fixed in heaven, are not all equal, but one differs from another in brightness and magnitude, so in spiritual things there are advances, according to the measure of faith in the Spirit Himself, one man richer than another. The Scripture says, He that speaketh in a tongue speaketh by the Spirit of God. He is a spiritual man speaking to God. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. The latter had the greater abundance of grace. The one edifies himself only, the other his neighbor also. This is like a grain of corn sown in the earth. The same grain out of the same heart produces many grains differing from each other. And again the ears, some are larger, some smaller, but all are gathered into one threshing floor, one barn. Though they differ, one bread is made of them. Or, as in a city, there are multitudes of people, and some are infant children, some men or young men. But all drink water of one well, and all eat of one bread, and have one air to breathe. Or as lamps are, one with two wicks and one with seven. But where the greater abundance of light is, the illumination is greater. So as many as are in fire and light cannot be in darkness, but there is much difference. If a father has two sons, one a child, the other a young man, he sends the one abroad to foreign cities and countries, but the little one he keeps continually under guard, because he can do nothing. Glory be to God. Amen. Homily 37 Concerning Paradise and the Spiritual Law The friendship of the world, according to that which is written, is enmity with God, for which cause the Scripture bids every one to keep his own heart with all diligence, 
that keeping in it the word, like a paradise, a man may enjoy grace, not hearing the serpent that whines within, when he counsels the things that make for pleasure, whereby is engendered the wrath that slays a brother, and the soul that brings it forth perishes. But hearing the Lord when he says, Take heed to faith and hope, through which is engendered love towards God and man, which gives eternal life. Into this paradise Noah entered, keeping the commandment and working, and through love was redeemed from the wrath. Keeping this paradise, Abraham heard the voice of God. Keeping this, Moses received glory in his countenance. David likewise, keeping this, worked, from whence he gained the mastery of his enemies. And Saul, too, so long as he kept his heart, prospered. But when at last he transgressed, at last he was forsaken. For the word of God follows each man by measure according to proportion. So long as a man holds fast, he is held fast. And so long as he guards, he is guarded. For this cause the whole company of holy prophets, apostles, martyrs, kept the word in their hearts, caring for nothing else, but despising earthly things, and abiding in the commandment of the Holy Ghost, and preferring before all things the Spirit's love of God and the Spirit's good, not in word only or in mere knowledge, but in word and deed as well, by actual practice, choosing poverty instead of wealth, dishonor instead of glory, suffering instead of pleasure, affliction instead of enjoyment, and for that reason love instead of wrath. For as they hated the sweet things of life, they rather loved those who took them away, as working with them to the purpose, forbearing to know good and evil. They neither denied those who were good, nor blamed those who were evil, esteeming all alike to be envoys of the Master's dispensation. Therefore they had a well-disposed benevolence towards all. When they heard the Lord say, Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven, then they reckoned those who wronged them as benefactors, because from them they received occasion for their own forgiveness. When again they heard, As ye would that men should do unto you, do ye also unto them. Then they began to love good men also according to conscience, leaving their own righteousness and seeking the righteousness of God they naturally found love also included in it. For the Lord, in giving many commandments concerning love, bade us seek the righteousness of God, for he knows that it is the mother of love. There is no other way to be saved but through our neighbor. According as he enjoined, Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. This is the spiritual law, written in faithful hearts, the fulfilling of the first law. I came not, he says, to destroy the law, but to fulfill. How is it fulfilled? Let me tell you. 
the first law by reasonable occasion of him who sinned condemned over and above him that was sinned against for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself so says the law in the midst of judgment judgment in the midst of striking a stroke forgiveness is the fulfilling of the law we have called it a first law not that god has set two laws before men but one law which is spiritual in its nature but in regard to retribution it awards to each man the retribution which is just forgiving him that forgives and contending with him that contends with the clean it says thou shalt be clean and with the forward thou shalt wrestle therefore those who spiritually fulfil it and are favoured in proportion come to love with a spiritual love not only those who did them good but also those that reproached them and persecuted them looking for a recompense of good things of good things i say not because they acquiesced in the wrongs done to them but because they did good to the souls of the wrongdoers they committed them to god as the means by which they obtained the beatitude as it says blessed are ye when they shall revile you and persecute you it was under a spiritual law that they were taught to be thus minded while they endured and preserved their inward meekness the lord looking upon the patience of the heart under attack and of the love that lost not its self-control broke through the middle wall of partition and they cast away perfect hatred and their love was no longer against the grain but with relief the lord brought to naught the sword that turned every way which stirs the thoughts and they entered into that within the veil whither the forerunner is for us entered even the lord and they revelled in the fruits of the spirit and having beheld things to come in security of heart no longer as the apostle says in a glass and darkly they said what eye hath not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man how many things god hath prepared for them that love him but i will ask this wonderful question question if it is not entered into the heart of man how do you come to know it especially when you confessed in the acts that you were men of like passions with us answer well listen what answer paul makes to this but god he says hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searcheth all things yea the depths of god but lest any one should say that to them the spirit was given because they were apostles but that we are naturally incapable of it he says elsewhere in prayer that god would give you to be strengthened with might in the inward man that christ may dwell in your hearts and again but the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty and again but if any have not the spirit of christ he is none of his 
Let us therefore pray to partake of the Holy Spirit in full assurance and experience, and to enter in whence we came out, and that thus for the future the serpent may be kept away from us, the parent of wrath, the counsellor of vainglory, the spirit of carking and surfeiting, so that having gained a firm faith we may keep the commandments of the Lord, and may grow up in him unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature, that we may no longer be under dominion to the deceit of this world, but may be in the full assurance of the Spirit, and not disbelieve, that the grace of God has pleasure even in sinners when they repent. For that which is bestowed according to grace is not measured by comparison with previous infirmity. Otherwise grace is no more grace. But believing in the Almighty God may come with simple and not over-anxious heart to Him who through faith bestows the participation of the Spirit, and not through comparison with the works of nature. For it says, Ye received not the Spirit by the works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. Question. What is the meaning of the text? I had rather speak five words in the church with my understanding. Answer. The word church is understood of two several things, the assembly of the faithful and the compound soul. When it is taken spiritually of the individual man, the church denotes him as a compound whole. Five words means the comprehensive virtues which build up the whole man in varying modes of distribution. As he who spoke in the Lord comprehended all wisdom in his five words, so he who follows the Lord builds up godliness to abundance through the five virtues. Five they are, and they comprehend all. First prayer, then temperance, alms, poverty, patience. These performed with longing desire and set purpose are words of the soul spoken by the Lord and heard by the heart. The Lord works, and then the Spirit speaks without sound, and the heart performs in outward manifestation, in proportion as it desires. And as these virtues contain all virtues, so they are productive of each other. If the first is wanting, there is an end of all. Likewise through the second come those that follow, and so on. How shall any one pray except under the operation of the Spirit? And the Scripture bears me out when it says, No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And how will a man persevere who enters on a course of temperance without prayer and with no assistance? And he who is not temperate in everything, how shall he do alms to the hungry or the wrongdoer? And he who does no alms will not himself willingly submit to poverty. And again, resentment is akin to the desire of money, whether it has or whether it has not. But the virtuous soul is thus built up into the church, not because of what it has done, but because of what it has desired. It is not his own work that saves a man, but he who bestows on him the power. 
If any one therefore endures the marks of the Lord, let him not pride himself on anything, even if he have done some ordinary thing, but only on having loved and taken pains with a view to action. Never think that you have been beforehand with the Lord in your virtue, according to him who says, It is he that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Question. What then does the Scripture charge a man to do? Answer. We have already said that a man has by nature the power of taking pains, and this is what it demands. It charges therefore that a man should first consider, that when he has considered, he should love, and should use his will to take pains. But to have the mind influenced, or to endure the labor, or to accomplish the work, this the grace of the Lord bestows on the man who has willed and believed. Man's will, therefore, is like a material support. Where the will is not present, even God himself does nothing, though he could, because of man's freedom. The effectual working of God depends upon the will of man. On the other hand, if we give our whole will, he ascribes to us the whole work. Wonderful is God in all things, and altogether beyond the grasp of our understanding. But we men endeavor to speak some portion of his wonders, relying upon the scripture, or rather made intelligent by it. For who, it says, hath known the mind of the Lord? But he says himself, How often would I have gathered thy children together, and ye would not? So that we believe by this that it is he who gathers us, and demands of us nothing but the will. But what is it that manifests the will, except voluntary labor? For as iron, when it saws, and fells, and delves, and plants, gets worn itself and fails. But there is another who sets it in motion and applies it, and when it is battered makes it red-hot and renews it. So although man becomes worn and wearied in working that which is good, yet the Lord works secretly in him, and when he is wearied and battered, comforts and renews his heart, as the prophet says. Shall the axe boast itself apart from him that heweth, or the saw exalt itself apart from him that draws it? So is it also with regard to evil, when a man obeys it and makes himself ready for it. Then Satan also draws and sharpens him, as the robber his sword. We have likened the heart to iron, because of its insensibility to things and its great hardness. But we ought not, like insensible iron, to be ignorant of him who holds us. Otherwise we should not change quickly from the word which is our husbandman to the suggestion of the evil one. But rather, like the ox and ass, to know him who drives and guides us according to disposition, for it says, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel knoweth me not. 
Let us therefore pray to receive the knowledge of God, and to be instructed in the spiritual law to the accomplishment of His holy commandments, glorifying the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost forever. Amen. End of Homily 37